With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espionation blog covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm PD, and I'm joined here in his uh, return from a hiatus from the Canon Cast. Eric Seeds, how you doing, man? Uh, you know, I'm doing well. I didn't uh, didn't really expect the Columbus Blue Jackets to be the highlight of my sports weekend, but uh, here we are. This is what reality is in 2021. Yeah, so our Blue Jackets, who previously this episode had been uh, consistently inconsistent for the first month of the season, which, you know, maybe still better than we expected, but, uh, you know, not not great, but not terrible. Uh, all of a sudden, now they've rattled off three wins in a row, and two of them have come against a team that many expected to be a Stanley Cup contender, uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we won in overtime on Wednesday in Colorado, and then a regulation win Saturday at Nationwide Arena. Uh, and sees that you said that was your first game since before the pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the first, because I, well, I went to a preseason game earlier this year, but it was the first regular season game I have attended since uh, March 1st, 2021, when we uh, had the big comeback against Vancouver. Wow. Yeah, talk about, uh, talk about quite the hiatus. So it was... It was nice being back in a pretty full nationwide arena. One, I wouldn't say it was a sellout by any stretch. You know, uh, hard to get a sellout when Ohio State's playing on earlier in that Saturday. But um, it was a good crowd there Saturday night, and yeah, the Blue Jackets they they took four points from the Avs. Like you, you mentioned people who thought the Colorado Avalanche were a Stanley Cup contender, and I count myself among those because I picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year. Like that team is really good. And now, granted, the Avalanche were missing a lot of key players in these in these couple games. On Wednesday night, in that matchup, they were missing Kale McCarr, Devon Taves, uh, Miko Rantanen. Uh, they had a lot of regulars out. Yeah. And now on Saturday, it came back. Um, 
came back to Columbus. Devon Taves made his season debut for the uh, mm-hmm. um, for the Avalanche Saturday. It, it it just didn't matter. Like the, the Blue Jackets found a way to get it done. Um, my girlfriend and I, we were talking in the middle of the third period, like. You know, as as we're down two to one, like you know, got a win in Colorado. You know, figured at best we're gonna split with the Blue Jacket or split with the Avalanche to start this, uh, it, or you know, in in this season series at at best. So you know, we're it, it's disappointing that it was a home loss, but we we it, there's there's positive things to build on. And then Texier scored, <laughs> and we're like, okay, okay, we're into this. And then Cylinder scored with a minute two to go, and you thought the roof blew off the barn, like it. It was incredible. Like I, I could not be more impressed with the not only the resilience of this team and how they just didn't really look out of it at any point. It is that that resilience and that kind of bounce back, never say die kind of mentality is kind of being led by the youth of the team at this point. Like I didn't really notice Gustav Nyquist. Didn't really notice many of the veterans out there Saturday night. Sure noticed Igor Chenikov and Cole Sillinger every time they were on the ice. Like, those guys are just making a mark. And it's it's really encouraging to see. Like, st- I still personally don't expect this team to be hanging around the playoffs come the trade deadline. But I'm really encouraged by how the youth is playing, at least at the start of this year. I know it's a long season, but as a Blue Jackets fan, you can only be encouraged by what you're seeing from the kids on this roster. Yeah, they, they were, they were given up a big opportunity. Chinnikov got to move up to the top line because of Patrick Laine's injury. Uh, Laine has an oblique injury. He's out four to six weeks. Um, and Chinnikov then had the most five-on-five minutes of any Jackets forward on Saturday. And number two was Colt Sillinger. And, you know, got to say it, it wasn't just like, oh, hey, you know, we're going to throw these kids a bone and play them a lot. It's no, they earned those minutes because that was the best forward line for the Jackets. And yeah, yet, you know, the crowd was... Uh, I think reported at just over 16,000. But man, after that go-ahead goal, that place got loud. You could hear it on TV that it was a loud crowd. They were super into it. Just in general, I I loved that third period. Again, I thought like you, like, all right, down 2-1 after two. This is a good team. The Avs, they got a lot of guys back. You know, Burakovsky was back from injury and he had two goals. Like that was clearly making a big, big difference. But the third period started. And the Jackets were like a, a team possessed. They came out so hard to start the third period. And it was just wave after wave of Columbus line after Columbus line in the zone, just dominating possession. So it was really only a matter of time before they tied it up because they were not giving Colorado any opportunities. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've spoken a couple of times recently on the pod about mm-hmm. Alexander Texier. And I mentioned last week that he seems to have thrived on the fourth line and boom there he he does he gets the game tying goal beautiful eric robinson it was incredible and i've been i've been kind of critical of texier like you know he was this guy who last year you know after panarin left he was slotted on the first line like expected to be this top six guy and i just don't really think that's his game but he he has improved so well defensively He, he is like like as you said, he's thriving in this fourth line role because he can play his two hundred foot game. He is skilled enough offensively that he can contribute and chip in um, unexpectedly. Like I didn't, I did not expect him to have the like. I didn't expect him to score, but he played very well Saturday night, and then he scored. Also, shout out Elvis Merzlikens for uh, getting an assist on that goal. Goalie points are awesome. Love it. Um, so that was that was really fun, but. 
the the Blue Jackets, they, I mean, for the first two periods of that game Saturday night, they got punched in the mouth pretty hard. Like, yeah. credit Elvis Merzlikens for keeping them in that game because he made several outrageous saves to keep that to keep this team in it. Was named was named as one of the stars. Of the game fully deserved. Yeah. Um. But the, this this team is just fun right now. They, they're they're playing they're playing with chemistry. They're playing with a kind of loose looseness and kind of freedom that we haven't seen the last few years in the Blue Jackets. I don't know if it's you know new coaching staff that you don't have the weight of prior expectations weighing you down. You don't have you know you don't have a lot of guys in contract years this year. Uh, you've just got. You know, guys are just kind of playing more free, and just you can you can kind of just feel it that this team just they feel more comfortable on the ice, and I think that's going a long way towards the results we are seeing. Yeah, you know, I think it's a it's one of those classic cases where when the pressure's off, then players are are more free to just play their game. Whereas you know, previous seasons there was this expectation of hey, we got to get back to the playoffs, and so there was the fear of making mistakes, and there was the pressure to okay, let's keep doing what we've been doing and we'll just, we'll make the playoffs. And, but this year it's been, that's not the expectation. And so it's more about development. It's more about seeing what guys fit in what roles and just all right, take it game by game and see what happens. And because there isn't that pressure, because there aren't those expectations, um, it's just about those guys going out and playing their game and getting better from game to game and starting to build chemistry with each other and, you know, we're starting to reap the benefits of that. So I, I'm excited to see if they keep it going. Obviously things are, look, everything looks great when you're on a win streak. We'll see what happens when, as you mentioned, you know, what if they get punched in the mouth several times in a row? What if they get a losing streak? Uh, can they avoid spiraling in that case? You know, how will the young guys handle that kind of adversity? Um, but I think so far the tests they've faced, they've been passing because a lot of these wins that they've had, you know, it's not like they've been leading wire to wire. They have come down from deficits. They are they. You know, Wednesday they they came down from a two goal lead. Then they had a two goal lead and they blew it. But then came back and won in overtime. I really regret falling asleep at second intermission for that game <laughs> Wednesday night. I, I woke up the next morning. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! Like I like missed, missed one hell of a third period. I'm really bummed about that. It was it was well. And there was just there was just a lot of. Really fun hockey in those two games. There's a stretch in the second period on Saturday. I think it was the second period where there was a long chunk of, you know, no whistles. It was just back and forth hockey and not like even sustained offense. It was just like, all right, this team's down the ice, has a chance. The other team down the ice has a chance. It reminded me of like playoff hockey. And it's like, it's the best kind of hockey for me that just back and forth chances. It was just, it was just entertaining, and it was kind of, like, it was fun to see what this roster can do when it's kind of just, when you kind of take the training wheels off and just say, you know, we might not be the most talented team in the league, we're going to make some mistakes, but you know, get out there and just skate and make and try and make plays. You know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of take the take the wheels take the training wheels off, let you guys go, and we'll see what happens. You know, the only the only chance we're gonna you know, we have to beat Colorado is probably to outscore them because don't really want to get in a low, in a low. And a, a thing I wanted to make note of because I, I noted it in the arena Saturday night, and I believe I noted it in our spaces discussion post game. I didn't notice Nathan McKinnon much yeah. in, those, in those two games. They did, in, they did a very, very good job shutting McKinnon down, and that's not yeah. easy to do. That that is a dude who 
has been a heart finalist a few times, probably should have at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's they credit to the Blue Jackets. They they took one of the more dangerous lines in the NHL. Again, they were missing Miko Rantanen, but that's that line still features Nathan McKinnon and the captain Gabriel Landeskog, and the Blue Jackets were able to shut them down. Like I didn't really feel all that threatened by the McKinnon line Saturday, and I was spent more time in abject terror of Andre Burakovsky. But yeah, no. So I, I I felt like McKinnon's name was called a few times in the first period, but the last two periods. Yeah, I, I can't remember anything that he did. I think he was pretty much invisible. And it was mostly the, the Jenner line and the Corrali line that were matched up against him. And you got to give him full credit. They played great defensive hockey to shut that line down and really limit their chances. Uh, that was, yeah, to, to be able to shut down the top line of the opposing team is huge. Yeah, and they and they made a point I was noticing of like kind of just mucking up their entries, kind of like what teams have been doing to us on the power play for half a decade. They've just kind of haven't been leading, haven't they weren't letting McKinnon bring the puck into the offensive zone with speed. They were forcing, they were kind of building a wall and forcing some dumps at the at the blue line, and then just turning around and backchecking the hell out of the puck. And that's you know when you when you are at a talent deficit and the Blue Jackets, you know for all for their two wins against Colorado, they are in a talent deficit in like a game like that. It's how you got to win. You got to play. You got to muck it up and play. You know, filthy, filthy hockey. And they they did it and found a way to win. And that, that's full credit to the Blue Jackets. Something that I saw and pre- noticed in preseason and has carried through to the regular season is um, the Jackets are really have really good active sticks. You know, they keep their sticks out there on the ice and it's been able to break up a lot of passes and shots and has created chances the other way for them. And that's, that's huge. Uh, and I said, yeah, it has, you know, prevented clean entries into the defensive zone, just makes it hard for teams to get into to their cycle and that, and that sort of thing. So um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done defensively, obviously like the injuries to, to Boquist and Kukan, that doesn't help. Um, but I think they're getting better. The, the forwards are getting better defensively. Um, it's work in progress, but but there's some encouraging signs there. They're getting tremendous goaltending, and I think that's that might cool off a little bit, so they'll need to step up offensively at 5-on-5, five five and maybe they're getting chances. They need to bury more chances um, just to, to make up for if the goaltending becomes just a slightly more human. Yeah, I don't think uh, Elvis is going to keep up a nine forty eight for the rest of the year. But if they do, if he if he does, uh, they can start carving his name on the Vesna Trophy because he's going to win yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But uh, sure. but uh, yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with like just the strides they've made defensively. And like there, you mentioned there is a lot of work to do. But like even seeing guys like you know Jake Bean, we didn't know what he was going to be. Right coming over here he was a he had what 50 nhl games for carolina playing on the third pair and he's yeah. been pretty good this year he's contributed offensively do, doesn't look out of place defensively zach Warinsky might not have the points but he looks every bit like the number one defense he's grow he's still growing into that number one defenseman role but it doesn't look too big for him right and he's yeah. and he played some monster minutes in these games the last week or so I uh, believe it was, was it the Wednesday night game where he set a career high in minutes where he played like 30 odd minutes Something in the like game? Something like that, yeah, yeah. Too too many, I think, but yeah, he's been playing great. Yeah, he's been he's been having a great start to the season. Um, 
Vladislav Gavrikov, shout out Rachel, has been having a very good start to the season. Like, I've I've been I've been impressed with some of the def- with the defenders, and you know we just got to bring the rest of the guys along and get there. But I think big big picture takeaway from this last week is we are seeing what we wanted to see from this team. We're seeing we're seeing growth on a night to night basis. We're seeing, yeah. pl- we're seeing the formations of a plan and of a plan develop falling into place and we're seeing the team respond like if we go back to uh last sunday before the before you guys recorded last week's pod Mm -hmm. um they got punched in the mouth against the new york rangers and then had to turn around and play the devils again on the road the next night and they found a way to come back they found a way to win that game like they they responded to adversity and that's what you want to see from this roster like you know you're gonna have setbacks you're gonna have bad nights but with a young developing roster you want to see continue you want to see continued growth and you want to see positive response to negative outcomes and we are seeing both of those things early at least early in the season from this organization i think those are two key points to build on going forward i think those are really good things yep and and looking ahead uh they've got three and four at home over the weekend from friday through monday and two of the opponents they're facing are the rangers and the red wings both of whom beat the Jackets pretty soundly in October. And the, both of those games are on the road. Now they're facing those teams at home. I feel like the Jackets have been better at home because they can match up the lines like they want. Uh, but I'm curious to see how they do in their second games against those teams. Um, and if they can hang tighter, then that'll be you know some tangible improvement like we're talking about. Like, okay, they've learned their lessons from the first game against this team, and now this is what they're doing. Right, and... Uh... You know, I know, I know, we're going to get into some, you know, discussion about some other teams in a little bit. But shout out the Detroit Red Wings for like looking pretty good this year. Like that, uh, Moritz Sider looks like legit. He he looks like a dude. Uh, they've uh, they've got some. Raymond is incredible. The yeah, impact he, that he's they, having on that team is remarkable. They've got they've got some dudes up there in Detroit. You know, S- Steve Eiserman, uh, shocker can can build a can build a team. Yeah, yeah. It, all those traffic's finally paying off. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some news around the league. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. 
you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Last week, the big news of the NHL was that we finally got a resolution to the Jack Eichel situation. He has now been traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, in return, Buffalo gets Alex Took and Peyton Krebs, who's a uh, prospect currently in the AHL, former first-round pick. Uh, and then there were also some draft picks coming over, um, including a first-round pick from Vegas. Um, so, Seeds, what was your what was your reaction to that trade? Uh, my literal reaction on Twitter was, "That's it." <laughs> yep. Like we we went through we went through this whole saga for six months when you know half the half the people on like hockey boards on uh, name a site could just come up with could have came up with that give or take a pick six months ago. Like mm-hmm. I get that there are, uh, there were a lot of teams who were scared by the surgery Jack Eichel wanted. A lot of teams weren't going to let him have the surgery or give him the surgery. So that probably limited the market. Um, but we, you know, we, we as fans have all kind of said, huh, Vegas needs a number one center. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like this makes sense. And then th- there were discussions. I listened to the 31 thoughts pod and then I listened to puck soup over the weekend and they were having discussions about if you weren't, if teams weren't going to give you much. And while I think Pete and Krebs is can can be something someday and Alex, uh, talk to whatever, yeah. <laughs> however you pronounce his name is a, is a nice solid contributor. It's not a lot for a guy who was a former second overall pick with the pedigree that Jack Eichel has and was a point per game player before he got hurt with his points per points per game increasing every season. I, th- I think what Buffalo's critical error was was they let was it was twofold. They they kind of took it personally when Jack Eichel requested the trade initially. Mm-hmm. Um, Elliot Friedman kind of alluded to that on thirty one thought thirty two thoughts over the weekend. Um, in that the the Pagula the Pagulas were very unhappy and displeased that Eichel requested the trade, and it's kind of like you guys have failed to build a anything resembling a contender, like a, even a playoff contender, not right. no, no not to mention a Stanley Cup contender around him for the better part of a decade here. Um, you can't you can't have not seen this coming, and I think the other critical error that they made. Um, that kind of limited their market was they didn't retain any salary. They, they, they explicitly said they were not going to retain salary. And that, and while I get that that might not be something you want to do, I think that kind of limited the package they were getting back because if they retain salary, three, 4 million, whatever, um, the NHL is not like some other leagues where you can retain it one year and then not the next couple you have if you retain it for one year you have to retain salary for the duration of the contract mm-hmm. um but if they had retained salary that's i mean they could have done what teams in like the nfl or the nba do where you just basically buy a pick like yeah. you know it, rather than getting a third round pick for jack eichel and uh maybe you get two firsts or you get a you know you get another you know, A minus B plus prospect, something like that. Like I, I just, I thought the return was underwhelming. I, I sincerely hope it works out for Jack Eichel. I'm glad he's able to get the surgery he wants that he feels comfortable with. I, I'm very scared of that Vegas top line of Stone, Pacioretty, and uh, Eichel whenever they are all healthy. But I, I sincerely hope it all works out. I just think Buffalo overplayed their hand, and it ended up costing them in the return. Yeah, I think. Buffalo was in a an impossible situation because 
they were never going to get full value for Eichel because of his injury situation. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was a healthy Eichel, then absolutely they could ask for the moon and they would get it. But because it's an Eichel that's going to have a surgery and a surgery that an NHL player doesn't have, and, you know, hopefully it works out well, but there is a risk being taken there and that risk depressed the price. So yeah, it's, it's ultimately underwhelming, but it's a trade that they had to do. I think they're going to be better off now just having the drama behind them and they could just move on going forward. And they got a couple nice players and it's yeah. not going to make up for what they lost, but hopefully they could just start their plan and, and move forward with it. Yeah. And I guess my, my whole point of bringing up retaining salary is because the market was so depressed with his injury, like retaining salary, while, while it's not something you want to do, it's a way to kind of build the market back up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, it's, it's, dep- it's a depressed market because of his injury. But if we say, you know, he's making let, you know, because he, he's what, $10 million against the salary cap yeah. for the next mm-hmm. couple of years. If, if instead he's, you know, instead of Mitch Marner money against the cap, if he's Tom Wilson money against the cap, sure. it's a little more, it's a little more appealing, you know, and it might boost the return. Cause if you're, my point is if you are in an impossible situation where you have to trade the player and Buffalo very clearly had to trade the player. Eichel was, you know, they'd stripped him of the cap and see he was never playing another game for that organization. You need to do whatever you can. However, unsavory it might seem to get the value up to maximize the return as much as you can in a, in a hard situation. And I don't think they did that. Yeah. I can understand though that you don't want, it's harder to retain salary over a long-term deal like that. I mean, like, isn't Toronto still paying Phil Kessel a little bit this year, technically on their cap space? I I believe so. So I, if Buffalo envisions being competitive again in a few years, then they're not going to want to have a chunk of you know several million of the Eichel contracts still on the books as they're trying to get better as they're trying to maybe give raises to players that deserve it. Bear with me one moment here while I Google how long is Jeff Skinner signed for, and I will be able to tell you when they will be competitive again. Uh, Jeff Skinner is signed through. Uh, I'm, I'm being told Armageddon is what it looks like here, so I do not think. Uh, I do not think the Buffalo Sabres are going to be competitive anytime soon. Um, well, yeah, but because they, they already have the the bad Skinner contract on the books, so you don't want to add more dead money if you don't have to. Um, they want to have flexibility to make other deals later on. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't love what they've done, but I understand why they did what they did, and you know, I'm curious to see what other steps they take. Cause I, I think it's going to be a, still a long road ahead of them yet. Now for Vegas, love the deal for them. Um, you know, I absolutely, I feel like part of me should be like envious of what they've done, but I just think it's really impressive the way they've pushed their chips all in several times, accumulated a lot of high end talent. It's just so hard in a hard cap league to get, bring in that many good players via free agency and trade. And yet they've somehow managed to make it work. I don't know how they're going to make this cap situation work out. I think uh, they're maybe going to Kucherov, Mark Stone, and he's not going to come back to the playoffs. But uh, yeah, if we get that top line in the postseason, that's going to be really fun to watch. And then you you bump William Carlson and Chandler Stevenson down to roles that are more fitting for them. But like, if you have Chandler Stevenson as a third line center, like that's giving you like Yanni Gord type 
third line center production. And that's, that's how you get all the way to the cup. Right. As a, as, as most of you know, uh, PD yourself, especially I am a Los Angeles Rams fan for the, in the NFL. And it's, it's nice to see a team in the NHL doing what the Rams are doing in the NFL, which is basically like this, this, these picks might become a star or we could just trade for this guy we know is an established star and like we can go get them and we're just we are, we are going to be built use our resources to fill in complementary players that might not be elite or very good at everything but they've got one high-end skill you know they're, they're a good penalty killer or they're a good you know uh defensive defenseman they're a good they're they're a sniper but they can't skate or they can't pass but they can put the puck in the net like it's it's nice to see a team just like we want to have stars we believe stars are how you win in this league and we're gonna go for it and we're gonna continue to make whatever moves we can to continually improve because while we made this while we made the uh championship round in one season we haven't gotten back and we aspire to be great every year and eventually, it's going to come crashing down. But it's cool oh, yeah. while they're doing it. Like eventually, they're eventually the bill's going to come due. But it's cool to see a team just be like, our window's wide open while we have these guys. And now their window is the Eichel contract, the Stone contract, and the Pacioretty contract. That's that's their window. So they've got five, four or five years to try and win a cup, and that's pretty cool because I'm interested to see what they're going to do going forward. Love that top line. Very glad they're in the West. Yep, absolutely. And, and as a neutral fan. It doesn't matter to me what happens to them when they're bad again. Then I can just ignore them and pay attention to some other good team, you know. Right, and you're telling me we might get an we might get a Western Conference Final of McKinnon, Landis, Cog, Rantanen against Stone, Pacioretty, Eichel. That rocks. Yeah, like that. That rocks. Sign me up for that for sure. Uh, speaking of good teams, I wanted to go through uh, the standings around the league here. Um, we're only. You know, a dozen games in for most teams. So you get some results that are a little odd. Things that don't necessarily match the expectation. So I wanted to look at teams that were maybe above or below what we expected and ask, are these teams actually good or actually bad? Um, So I'm going to start with the team at the top of the standings, the Florida Panthers. Expected by many to return to the playoffs, but they are 10-0-1. Uh, they have a plus 23 goal differential. Uh, their coach had to step down because of his involvement in the Blackhawks scandal. And yet they're still, what, 3-0-1 under the new coach? Uh, so, Seeds, the Panthers, are they actually this good? Yeah, they that they are terrifying. The Florida Panthers are, and, and, and un, until he recently got hurt, they were getting like, vintage Sergei Bobrovsky goaltending, which I think might be the biggest um, the biggest bounce-back factor of all. Is like Bob looks really good this year up until his most recent injury, but it, it, it doesn't sound like it'll be too long of a term thing for him. Um, but the but like they had a guy who was a legitimate Norris contender last year in McKenzie Wegar. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm blanking on their other defenseman who got hurt uh, last year, who... Yeah, Ekblad missed the entire season. He's back. He's he's very good. They've got finally no longer the most underrated player in the NHL because now he's actually rated. Uh, Sasha Barkov is their number one center. They've got great depth scoring. They they can they can hurt you in a myriad of ways. They can they can play high talent high end offense uh, with Barkov and Huberdeau. 
They can lock you down um, defensively and win uh, win ugly. They've just handed the Carolina Hurricanes their first loss. Um, the Panthers are like legitimately terrifying. Like they they are really really good, and I really hope. I was. I'm really glad to see that losing Quenville, which they should have. It's a good thing Quenville's gone. I don't. I don't want right. to sound like that. But I'm glad for the sake of the team and those fans that losing Quenville has not to the, this point sunk their season yet because they have so much potential to go on a deep run this year. And the Panthers haven't won a playoff series, I believe, since they are since 1996. Yeah, and that would be. Well. And that would be really cool to see. Like, the Panthers actually, like, get into the playoffs and make some noise. Like, the Panthers are good. Yes, good. All right, on the other side of the ledger, one of the teams that was in the Stanley Cup Finals last year, Montreal, they are 3-10 and on the season with a minus 19 goal differential. Are the Canadians actually bad? Yes. Um, turns out losing Shea Weber and Carey Price isn't bad. Um, yeah. And and uh, and they lost uh, Philip Denome, their best defensive center. He's in LA now. They lost Yasperi Kotkaniemi to a uh, petulant retaliation offer sheet that they just decided not to match. Nick Suzuki, Nick Suzuki looks overwhelmed, and they sent Cole Caulfield back to the AHL. So, other than that, uh, guys, the Montreal Canadiens are having a pretty fine season. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this at all because. They were not actually a very good regular season team either the last two years either. So and they got, and they, they were got what 18th and 23rd last two years. Yeah, and then they got worse on paper. So yeah, this is not a surprise. Um, back on the good side of the ledger, uh, Calgary is the fourth best team in the league at seven one and three plus eighteen goal differential. Uh, is this legit? I was really hoping you'd bring this up because I, honest to God, have no idea. <laughs> I. On paper, what Calgary is doing makes literally zero sense. <laughs> I do not understand how this roster is doing what they're doing. Like, like I, I think I saw I saw a tweet over the weekend. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like Jacob Markstrom had five shutouts in twenty or two hundred twenty nine games in Vancouver and has four and nine games for Calgary. Like, I don't get it. I don't know how they're doing it. Uh, apparently Daryl Sutter is making it 2012 again by science and or magic. I, I don't know how Calgary is doing what they're doing, but kudos to them for doing it. Like these are all banked points that count and the Pacific is so bad that like they might be a playoff team and just like Daryl's we've seen Daryl Sutter teams be annoying in the postseason and go farther than they should because they just coursey the hell out of you. So, yeah. um, back on the bad side of things, uh, the Seattle Kraken, who the analytics community seemed to really love their roster coming into this season, they are just four seven and one with a minus six goal differential. Are they actually bad? The Kraken are the Kraken are a case study in not taking advantage of opportunity when you have it. Everyone was expecting them to do what Vegas did. And teams, teams and GMs had wise, wisened up and were not going to make the silly side deals that they did previously. This did not mean that Seattle could not make any deals at all. Report, reports are out there that Ron Francis was asking for the moon for any pre-draft trades, pre-expansion draft trades, and teams yeah. were like, I'm, rather than paying these exorbitant, you know, rather than paying a first and a second to not take our player, like, you could just 
have the player. Like we, we value these other two assets more. So it's like what he, sh- what he should have done is probably get like stocked up on second, third, fourth rounders and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe grab a couple of those guys that teams kind of were like, you should probably take this. And then just kind of done what Vegas does to a lesser degree and spun those assets off into other assets. But they instead made some interesting... I mean, they, they made several good decisions. Like, Yanni Gord is an incredible decision. I was It was the no-brainer, but it's one of those things you had to do. But to, then they made several head-scratching moves. Like, you, you picked up a couple goaltenders in the expansion draft, and then you just go and sign Philip Grubauer for $6 million for some reason. Like... I don't think, like, now it's early, and as I mentioned, the Pacific is terrible. The, the division is just not good. Like, so Seattle can always rebound. They have it, they've played a long stretch of their early season on the road, like their first five games were on the mm-hmm. road. So they can always bounce back as they kind of even out and get more home games. But I don't think the Kraken are all that great. I don't think they're set up well for long-term success just because they don't have the asset accumulation that the Vegas Golden Knights did. Yeah, well, and more in the short-term thing, I just feel like they didn't do enough to add offensive playmakers. Right. Who's going to put the puck in the net? Yeah. And so far, they're just not getting enough goals. So I, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that I didn't think they'd be this bad, but yeah, I think they're, they're not set up to be a very good team this year. Uh, Another team that's not set up to be very good. The Chicago Blackhawks (laughs) two, nine and two, uh, with a minus 20 goal differential, and they just fired their coach. Uh, I hate to see it. Yeah. I, I they're, they're bad, right? They're they're really bad. They're god-awful. Like, and now, like, sh- kudos to Seth Jones, who's apparently, like, having an assist per game the last, like, 10 games or whatever, but um, that team is just not good. They are not good defensively. They have no structure whatsoever. They're... Their depth is terrible. They're trying to run Dylan Strome out of town. Like it's it it they're a mess on and off the ice. Mark Andre Fleury has uh, regressed because it turns out not playing behind Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo is actually bad for a goaltender. <laughs> um, and like Jonathan Taves doesn't look like the same player he was after missing a whole year. Um, they don't really have much scoring depth they don't have much defensive depth and their goaltending is kind of a mess so you absolutely don't hate to see it (laughs) yeah i just i thought i didn't think they would be a playoff team because i thought the division was too tough i i thought they had too much talent to be this dreadfully bad but i don't i don't regret it (laughs) well and it's like and with with the blackhawks everyone is seeing kind of what we I guess it's now more like that's Seth Jones contract. Like he, he, like he's putting up points, but he is like his, his defensive metrics are not good. And people are like, Oh my God, this contract is going to be the worst contract in the league in three years. Yeah. I, I, you know, I wish Jones well, I thought he was going to bounce back. I think he still can bounce back, but I am relieved to not be committed to him for that number of years and that amount of money. Uh, All right. Well, when with one last, Possibly good team. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers have the same points percentage as the Blue Jackets. They are 6-2-2 two, and two with a plus uh, 8 goal differential. Are the Flyers actually good? Um, so th- this, this answer entirely depends on what Carter Hart you get from night to night. Sure. I mean, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, Car- 
I mean, Hart's having a good year right now. He's three three two and two, uh, 241 with a 926 goals again, or 926 save percentage. Good stats, um, especially compared to last year. He's having a he's having a really nice bounce back year. But like, he has to be everything for that team to if they want to make the playoffs. Because frankly, I don't trust Martin Jones behind him, and uh, the Flyers are just really streaky. Like they're they're kind of like the Blue Jackets. They you know they've got they've got some goal scoring. They've got some they've got some nice pieces up front. Uh, obviously, Claude Giroux. Uh, Stockaterrier there. Cam Atkins is having a nice season uh, over there. Shout out to him. I hope he continues to do well. We we really miss him, especially here in our household. We we miss Cam Atkinson mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, same. But but uh, but it's really nice to see. Uh, so it's nice to see him doing well. But yeah, the Flyers are they are as they have been for the last fifteen years. They they go as their goaltending does, and um, it really just depends on if Martin Jones can hold or if Carter Hart and Martin Jones together can hold it together for the season and odds of like the, the smart money on that would say at some point this all falls apart like a house of cards. But I mean, we saw Steve Mason win a Calder trophy and take the blue Jackets to the playoffs one time. So anything can happen. Yeah. Martin Jones apparently has a nine fifty save percentage in three starts. He has had a call sure. in all three of his starts. That's, yeah, sure. I, I whatever. Yeah, but yeah, Cam, Cam Atkinson's leading the team in scoring with six goals. Um, I'm happy for him, but I'm also I, I miss him a lot. <laughs> I it, it's hard it's hard to watch him do well there and be happy there. I mean, I want him to be happy, but I I hate seeing him be happy elsewhere because I he he was supposed to be here, but we got, we got Jake Voracek and that's worked out. So I think both teams are winning from that trade. One thing I didn't mention about the uh, the game Saturday night, but they played a really nice Ryan Murray tribute in the arena. I realized it was the first time he's been back here since he left, and that was that was really nice to see. Good for good for the Blue Jackets. They gave him, the fans gave him a standing ovation. Murray Murray seemed really genuinely appreciative, so that was cool. Yeah, I was glad they did that. I mean, hey, he was a a former you know number two overall pick. Uh, he played a lot of games here. He played good hockey when he was healthy. He just couldn't stay healthy, you know. Right, I've got um, I've got nothing against the guy. It's, I I re- gen- genuinely wish him well and hope his health holds out. Like, yeah, absolutely. And on that note, uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.